All right, I want to welcome you once again on this beautiful Sunday morning to the Digital Cathedral. Uh, I trust you're having a good morning. You're up and about. You got your coffee brewed. You got everything <clears throat> arranged in front of you. You got your Bible or your app on your phone ready to study a little bit uh, about how we can unhook the book. Speaking about the Bible, we have, you know, we have made this, this Bible, this book that we read, we've made it not a tool of peace, which I think would really please the Father if we would use it as a tool of peace. But we, for the most part, have made it into an instrument of war <laughs> where we want to we prove to others and force them into submission to what we've been told through the theological lens that we look at We've been told that what we believe is inerrant truth, that the Bible is an inerrant book based on the way that we, we read it and the way that we look at it. In fact, the Bible should be, when you, when you really look at this whole book, it should be a progressive uh, revelation of God's love for all men, mankind equally, apart from our lover devotion back to him. <clears throat> And if you haven't been with me for the first two sessions, uh, first two parts of Unhook the Book, you might want to go back and listen to it because we're going to take off today on, based on what we've already learned from the first two sessions. The Bible's full of, full of disclosures of unconditional love with no conditions. But in, until you learn how to unhook the book, you're probably never going to see the unconditional love with no conditions. If you hold to weaving in the Old Testament with the New Testament, giving the old equal authority, equal weight, which we have done in church for years and years, then I'll tell you right up front, you're never going to uncover, you absolutely will not uncover what Jesus came to fully reveal of the Father's heart to humanity. Bible teachers are guilty. I've been guilty of this, of taking a topic and then pulling verses from the Old Testament and from the New Testament with no distinction to prove a theological point. Now, as we unhook the book and we, we look next month, it's just a couple weeks away, at Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, we're going to look at the, some of the purity of the new covenant apart from the old. So let's talk about this morning, how in the world can we unhook the book to get maximum benefit. I, I think there is so much revelation that is still hidden in the new covenant that we haven't discovered yet because we haven't learned how to rightly divide the word. We haven't learned to unhook the book. We haven't learned to read everything through the eyes of grace and unconditional love. We still have this propensity to reach back into the old covenant and because it's so deeply entrenched in our mind, all of the things we've been taught, you know, like our heart is, is wicked, who can trust it? Uh, you have to seek God with your whole heart in order to find him. Or if, if my people, which are called by my name, we put the onus on men, we've put the initiation on men, thinking that God would respond if we did the right thing. But the new covenant is all about God's initiation, and we simply respond. So we're in week three of five on this series on how to unhook the book. And I hope by now, by week three, that you've come to understand a critical key, a critical key to avoid confusion when reading or studying the Bible. And that is to make a clear line of distinction between the old covenant that was written for you. 
The, write, the writer said that it was written for our example. Uh, we can pull wisdom and we can learn from it. But it was not written to you. The new covenant was written to you. In fact, in fact, Jesus said this. And I bet, I bet your pastor or whoever feeds you spiritually has never talked much about this verse. But it highlights what we're going to talk this morning about what is old and what is new. In Matthew chapter 15, and this is going to put some of you over on tilt this morning. In Matthew chapter 15, in verse 24, Jesus says this. Jesus answered and said, I was sent, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What, what, what's Jesus saying here? And this is a huge key if we're going to unhook the book. Jesus is saying that my teachings, the things that I, I presented, Sermon on the Mount, all the way up to a point in time, he said was directed only to the Jews. Now, does that mean we can't learn from it? Of course we can learn from it. Does that mean that Jesus didn't bring a lot of wisdom to the table? Of course he brought a lot of wisdom to the table. But he was not speaking to you Gentiles, us Gentiles. He was not speaking to the Gentile world. All right? The new covenant was given to all the nations of the world. Paul was handpicked by Jesus to go to the Gentiles with the message of the gospel. Entirely different message than what Jesus gave to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The New Testament is a testament of grace. The Old Testament is a testament of law. The Old Testament, you had to initiate. God responded. In the New Covenant, God initiates and you respond. But the question is this, and this is, now you'll understand why Jesus said he's sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The question I want to deal with this morning is this. When did the New Covenant actually begin? Many of us probably on the digital cathedral would say, well, it began in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 because in my Bible, that's the way it's laid out. In fact, there's a page that says the New Testament and the first page after that is Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. That's the division in the Bible. The Old Testament ends with Malachi. New Testament begins with Matthew. That's kind of what I thought for a long time. And look, I went through... You know, I've got a couple of degrees in this. And that's, no one ever told me that where the New Testament actually began. There, there, there's a truth you need to understand or else the division is going to bring you a lot of confusion. When you, if you're going to rightly divide the word, that means divide old from new as well as divide the understanding, get an understanding. But you have to know where the old start stopped and the New Testament actually begins. The New Covenant does not begin with Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. It does not. I make that claim based on what Scripture teaches us. In Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9. Now this is vitally important. I want you to listen so carefully this morning because you have got to know 
if you're reading Old Covenant or reading New Covenant. And it's not as easy as saying, there's Malachi that ends the Old, Matthew starts the New. That's not Old and New Covenants. That was a man-made separation. It was easy to separate B.C., A.D., before Christ, after Christ, or from the life of Christ on forward. It's just easy to separate it that way. But when we're talking about covenant, that's not how it begins and that's not how it ends. In, in Hebrews chapter 9, follow this with me. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also by necessity be the death of the testator. So we have a, a testament, we have a covenant, and what he tells us in verse 16, there must be the death in order for the testament to come into effect. Verse 17, for a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Jesus was sent by the Father to make new covenant with himself on our behalf. So Jesus, Jesus came and he represented, and this is why the covenant, you cannot break the new covenant. Jesus came as full representation of God and humanity. He was 100% God, 100% man. In, in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and also in him dwelt the fullness of humanity bodily. So when Jesus came and died on the cross, he made covenant basically with himself because he was full representation of deity and humanity. And, and it only became valid when he died. It was the new covenant was not in force while he lived. We just read it. For where there is a testament, there must also by necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is not in force after men are dead, since it is, has no power at all while the testator lives. All right, let me, let me read you verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Blood always, in, in, in a biblical covenant, there was always a, a blood, there was always a blood, blood that was involved with it. All right. In, in the old covenant, there was a lamb that was shed, a, a lamb was sacrificed, and the blood of that lamb cleansed us from, cleansed the person that took the lamb into the temple from sin. Now watch how this progresses. In Genesis, we find the death of one lamb for one person. In Exodus, we find the death of one lamb for a family. Remember when the Passover, they took the blood of the lamb, put it over the door, and a whole family was protected. whole family was saved. Genesis, one lamb for one person. Exodus, one lamb for a family. We get to Leviticus, then we find the sacrifice of one lamb for a nation. All right? It's all part of covenant keeping. Now, when we come to John, John looks at Jesus, points a finger, and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it goes from one Lamb for one person, one Lamb for a family, one Lamb for a nation, to where now Jesus is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the entire world. That's, that's amazing. Individual, family, nation, world. 
Now, when we look, when we look at a lamb as a sacrifice, it, you need also know that the lamb had to be perfect. There was nothing written about the person that takes the lamb in to be forgiven, that they had to be perfect. Only the lamb had to be perfect. Jesus was the perfect lamb that was sacrificed for the sins of the world. There's not, nothing there that says the guy who walks the lamb into the temple or the family that put the blood over the doorpost, that they all had to be perfect. It was, it was, the, it was the blood covenant, the sacrifice, even though the, the, the person that took it to the temple or those that watched Jesus die on the cross, the lamb took, that took away the sin of the world, they were not perfect. That was not the requirement. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So what was the will of the Father? The will of the Father was that Jesus would come and offer himself as a lamb. Now look, God never needed a lamb sacrificed. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament it says God, didn't, God wasn't into that. God didn't even like the idea of a blood sacrifice. It was man that needed the sacrifice to cleanse his conscience. So when he took the lamb in and the lamb was, was, was killed, it made him feel better. God did not need Jesus to die on the cross. Man needed him to die on the cross. We needed it. We're the ones that needed the sacrifice. God never needed the sacrifice. But in sacrificing, he was able to establish the second and remove the first. It is finished covers a lot. When Jesus said, it is finished, there's a, a myriad of things he was talking about. But what I, all I want to emphasize right now is when Jesus said it was finished, he said, he was in effect saying, the old covenant is done and everything, it is finished and everything for the new covenant to be installed is now finished as well. And what he did was he eliminated sin and the entirety of the first covenant. There could not be sin after the elimination of the first covenant because there now was no law to keep. While we're in Hebrews, Hebrews is a powerful book on all of this. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 11. <clears throat> Writer of Hebrews says, None of them shall teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, this is in New Covenant, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So what, what, what is he saying? What's, what's the writer of Hebrews saying? With the establishment of the second covenant, God looks at you and says, your sins, your transgressions, I don't remember them anymore because the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world has more than been sufficient for you to know that you don't need sin consciousness any longer. You don't need to be aware of that. Then we find over in chapter 10, verse 16, Chapter 10, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, said the Lord. I'll put my laws into their hearts, into their minds. I'll write them. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. So he brought the second or the new covenant into position. And when the new covenant was into position through the death of Jesus, the lamb that took away the sins of the world, the old was done away, the new was in instituted, God now looks, he looks at Israel because this is who this is directed at. You and I were never in the first covenant. 
We were never sinners because of the first covenant. We were not expected to obey the law. You and I are partakers of the inheritance. He looks and he says, look, guys, even for Gentiles, this consciousness that has told us that we're separated from God, we're sinful, that we've had woven into us, he said, that is done away. I want you to know that with the institution of the, of the, of the second, the first is obsolete. It has passed away. It does not exist any longer. The Father did it all by grace for us through the Son, apart from our efforts. In that 10th chapter, the 10th verse, he says, By that will we have been sacrificed through the offerings of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By that, by that will we have been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Once for everybody. It, 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 it was given to all. The word, the word sanctified means to be made holy, set apart. That's what the word sanctified actually means. So he's saying by, this, by the sacrifice of this one, you have all been sanctified. And this comes by the finished work of Jesus exclusively. When Jesus said, it is finished, at that point you became totally holy and set apart for God. Based on his love and goodness, not your works. It is finished. It's done. And that's how we need to unhook the book. When we read scripture, we need to understand that. It's, it's entirely his doing. And so when that covenant of grace came into effect, that is what positioned you in, in Christ. It was his call. It wasn't your call. He, in looking ahead, he did it before the foundation of the world. But now he positions you there and you should have security in your own mind of what he said. This is what has positioned you. Verse 10, remember Hebrews chapter 10 says this one sacrifice was made for all. You, you did nothing to be in Christ. Absolutely nothing. It was all his doing. Paul said, Paul said it clear as a bell. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, it says... Uh, let, me, let me read this so I get the exact word. Uh, I, I love to quote, but let me just get the exact. But of him you are in Christ. Now we could, we could stop right there and just spend the whole rest of the time together because this, this is new covenant. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, right? It was his doing. But of him you are in Christ who became for us or became as us, wisdom from God, and he became our righteousness, our sanctification, which is to be made holy and set apart. He became holy and set apart as us. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us, watch, listen, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Those things come about by Jesus' sake, it's finished. It's finished. So when we unhook the book, that's the lens through which we look. The covenant of grace has positioned you. Remember verse 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10? By one sacrifice, he sacrificed for all. One sacrifice for all. You did absolutely nothing. If you, if you want to be set free by truth, then begin to embrace your true self and begin to look at 
at the book through that, through, the, through who you really are, your authentic identity that, it, that is apart from your works, your doing, that's Old Covenant. You might get some wisdom, some insight, some examples from it, but it's not written to you. It's not our obedience, but it's his obedience as us that made us right with God. It was his obedience as us that squared us perfectly with the Father. In our thinking, from God's point, we've always been perfectly square with him. We've always been totally accepted. But we needed to have something that from our view toward him that would make us feel that position. So as we unhook the book, that's the position we want to look at Scripture through. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. And as we go through this Unhook the Book series, I'm trying to give you as many Scriptures as I can that will help fix this in your thinking. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For if by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. If, if, if everybody fell off in their head because of Adam, then Jesus came back and got us squared up in our head because of his sacrifice. See, the, the, the new covenant is about your awakening to what has already happened. It's not about you praying a prayer or initiating some action to receive God's forgiveness and blessing. That's old covenant. The sinner's prayer is an, old, is an old covenant concept. That's why it's not in the Bible. That's why it's never in the New Testament. See, it's an Old Testament concept. Remember, I, I've told you several times, Old Covenant is about you initiate, God responds. That's what the sinner's prayer is. You initiate. You ask forgiveness, and then he extends it. That's not New Covenant. New Covenant is he's already extended it. Now, believe it. It, awaken to what he's done. The new covenant is all about awakening or, or waking up, coming alive, opening your eyes to the reality of what already is yours through the obedience of the Son as all mankind. That's exactly what this 19th verse of Romans 5 is getting at. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. He has become for us our righteousness. Awaken to it. Trust in what he has done, not in what you do. Your faith, your faith is in him. Your faith is in what he did. Your faith is not in your faith. We've tried to get people to have faith in, them, in, in what they've done. You know, you've, you've prayed the prayer. Now believe that you're a son of God. No, 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 no. I have faith in what he has done to make me a son of God. I don't have faith in what I did to put me in that position. There was nothing that I could do to position me in Christ. Listen, I, I, I was an expert at teaching an old covenant legalistic way of living and calling it New Testament Christianity. That's all I knew. That's what I'd been taught. And I, I did my best to make it all fit together for years and years and years. I, I, I look back on some of that stuff and I'm almost embarrassed I could not see it. I, I would take, you know, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if 
My people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and I would lead that and lead prayer meetings and, and we would try to push into that and, 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 and it, it was all about what we did to invoke his blessing in his presence. We'd wait, we'd tarry for his presence. We'd just wait and wait, you know, waiting on God to show up. That just so conflicts with Jesus that I ain't going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Paul said nothing can separate. He's always here. Well, I, 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 one side of my mouth, I'd preach the omnipresence of God. Then out of the other side of my mouth, I would say that God will show up if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Then we'll hear. But over here, he's omnipresent and he's speaking to us all the time. Do you understand? Now you see why we've had so much confusion in the body of Christ, why people have been so double-minded, why people have been insecure. They don't know whether God's holding out for us to do something or whether he's already done it and we can believe what he said. You know, I, I, I'd preach, you need to get right with God. Then I'd tell you how to get right with God. to pray and ask forgiveness of your sins. And you need to read your Bible. Start praying, come to church, tithe, give, share. Let people know you're a Christian, witness. All those things, all those things that we would try to do so that God would look on us with favor. Do you hear the Old Testament law on that? The Old Covenant, you do, then God responds and blesses you. The new covenant is he blesses you out of his goodness. He pours his goodness on you first. These things then come as a response to his goodness. Will I pray? Yes. Why? Because I know that he loves me, cares for me. He's always with me. In, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, and we're going to get to this pretty quick uh, when we start studying the book of Galatians, verse by verse. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, listen to this. I do not set aside the grace of God. All right? Now how, do we, how, do we, how can we set aside the grace of God? For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If I could make myself righteous by what I do, if I could make myself right with God by praying and humbling myself, turning from my wicked ways, if I, if I could then be righteous so that God would visit me and would bless me, then you know what? Christ died in vain. Because Jesus' death as me, I was crucified with Christ. Christ's death as me enabled me through his obedience to be obedient. Am I 100% obedient? Absolutely not in myself. But as him, him as me, I'm fully obedient. So which am I? I'm fully obedient because I see myself in him. All right? Do you understand that? I don't set aside the grace of God. If righteousness comes through the law, if I can be a good guy by what I do, if I can be acceptable to God by my behavior, then I didn't need Jesus to die because Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. That's the whole point. So I, I, I'm reading more, I, I, I'm, I'm reaching more people, I'm I'm touching more people. I'm seeing more people change. I've seen more people change since 2004 till now than I did from 1969 to 2004. And basically all I've done differently is make a line of distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant. I've eliminated every time I see where, I'm try, where I mix a law into I've, I've eliminated my law-grace mixture. 
And by eliminating that mixture, you're able to have a message that has clarity. I, I get a lot of com comments and it's, you know, it's not really a, a compliment to me. It's just what I see. And, and people say, you teach with such clarity and simplicity. And the reason I think it's received that way is because I have consciously removed and extracted all the law, all of the I have to, I must, all the buts. Yes, God loves you, but... I've taken all that out, and it's just the very simple gospel. I, I wish I, I had understood Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. I think I read that to you last week. Let me read it again. I, I wish I'd understood Hebrews 10.10 10, that says this. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of one body of Jesus Christ for all. By that will, the... We have been sanctified, made holy, set apart through the offering of the of body of Jesus one time for all. And I told you that word sanctified means to be holy and made, made right with God. So how are, we how are we sanctified? That's a churchy word. How are we sanctified? Are we sanctified because we pray and ask for it? No. We're sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for a few people? No. Once for all. Once for all. Do you, do you need to get right with God? No, you don't need to get right with God. The Bible says you're right with God through the offering of the body of Christ. Believe it. Can you accept that acceptance? Look, that's the gospel. That's the good. People will receive that message. You don't need to ask God to forgive you because you've already been forgiven. He took care of the, of the sin issue in Christ by eliminating and making the old covenant obsolete, vanished away, Hebrews says, then there's not a law to keep. Now, can you, can you still, can you sin? Yes, but there's not, God does not punish that sin. Well, yeah, but my Bible says the wages of sin is death. Absolutely. You rob a bank, there is in the robbing of the bank the death of going to prison. What do you say? I'm saying that within the seed of the sin comes the repercussion or the punishment. It's not from God. <clears throat> you smoke four packs of cigarettes a day, you get lung cancer, you think, God's, you think God did that? No. Within the seed of you abusing your body is the kickback to it. You can pick the sin, you just can't pick the kickback. You can't pick what takes place as a result of it. In, in Romans chapter 8 and, and verse 3, we read Romans 8, 1 and 2 a lot, but actually Romans 8, 3 makes Romans 8, 1 and 2 uh, make more sense. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. You go to a church that has lots of laws, you're going, to be, you're, going to have, you're going to find a church that's full of sin because we can't keep the law. It's weak through the flesh. We couldn't, you can't even keep the Ten Commandments, let alone 613 laws that Moses instituted. What the law could not do, the, the, the law is good at pointing out you're wrong. And if you go to a legalistic church, you'll always be finding out what you're doing wrong. But here's the problem. 
There is no power in the law to deliver you from the wrong. All right? To deliver you from the sin. The law does a great job at pointing out the sin, but it has no power to change you. So what the law could not do because of the weakness of the flesh, watch. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh of Christ, it says. Now once you understand that, once you see that he condemned sin in the flesh, Jesus took care of the sin problem, then Romans 8, 1 and 2 make sense because of Romans 8, 3. There's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Yes. He put you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Therefore, because of what Jesus did, there's now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Is the law of sin and death still there? Yes, but I'm free from it. It does not touch me from God to man. Every place Adam ruined us without our permission, the last Adam came and unruined us. <laughs> Set us back right with God in our minds and in our thinking. Jesus was the total undoing of Adam. Whatever you think the first Adam did, the last Adam undid. The new covenant says, look, relax. The new covenant says, take the pressure off yourself. So as we unhook the book, as we go through the scriptures, we're going to find that increasingly, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, Paul, who wrote to the Gentiles, this is to you, we're going to find that he increasingly takes the pressure and the heat off of us and is telling us, relax into what he has done for you. You don't have to do anything to be made right with God. I've already done for you all that ever needs to be done. Can you accept your acceptance? That's the whole question. The whole question. Are you telling me, are you telling me today, are you standing down here in the digital cathedral telling me that I've been made holy and there's nothing I have to do to become what God wants me to be? That's exactly what I'm telling you. You already are everything he wants you to be. Now, all you have to, quote, do is awaken to who you already are. Which is going to require that you shed a lot of what other people said you are. Or what you have convinced yourself you are. See, we believe lies about us. People have, have, people have put untruth on us and we've said, yeah, I guess that must be right. They've transferred junk to us. And, and through that transference, we've taken the weight on. We've taken the load on. Holy means to be set apart as God's possession. He's the one that sanctified you. He's the one that set you apart. It has everything to do with being. It has nothing to do with doing. You understand that? It all has to do with who you be, not what you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and, and, and verse 21. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says this. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we who knew no righteousness might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. 
So who you be is the righteousness of God in Christ. How did you get to be that? By what you do? No. He made him who knew no sin to be made sin with our sin so that we who knew no righteousness could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He's the one that sanctified you, made you holy. Let me, let me give you two examples about this holiness stuff. The building that the Jews worshipped in was called the Holy Temple. Now let me ask you this, all of you in the digital cathedral, let me ask you, what did the temple ever do to become holy? <laughs> the temple did nothing. It was holy through a separation for God's purpose. That's why the temple was holy. The, whole, the temple didn't have to perform works to become holy. It was holy because God said, I separate you to be the place where my people worship and gather. All right, when the burning bush that talked to Moses. God said, Moses, take your, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. What did that ground ever do to become holy? Your holiness is no more dependent on your doing something than the temples or the holy grounds. It is God that says, I sanctified you, I separated you, I made you holy through the offering of the one body, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the separation, the sanctification, believe it, don't believe it, doesn't change the fact that you're holy. Your, your opinion doesn't define what God says. What God says defines who you are. God has set you apart. He, you did nothing more than the building or the ground to be holy. Jesus offered his body once for all, one act of crucifixion for all, one size fits all, makes you holy. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says that if one died for all, then all died. You died with the sacrifice of Christ. You died as him. He died as you. Do you understand where we're going with this? The New Testament is nothing but good news. So when we unhook the book, we look at it. We look at it through the lens of good news. And as you train yourself to do that, you will see the best of news in what had been previously the worst of verses. The verses that seem like the most vindictive, uh, judgmental that you think God maybe bestowed when we get into some of these verses that Paul wrote, you're going to find as you look at them through the lens of grace that you see unbelievable truth you never saw before. The new covenant is all about inexhaustible grace for an exhausted world. God's not mad at the world. God loves the world. And he set all of us apart. When Jesus said, it is finished, you were set apart. The work of setting you apart was finished. God's not mad at the world. John 3.17 says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world, cosmos, might be saved. Well, was he successful? Did he do what he was sent to do? Was Jesus a success or was Jesus a failure? As we unhook the book, we look at it through the lens of the complete success of Jesus. So if the Father said he did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, why do we feel so much condemnation? Where do you think that comes from? 
It comes because you have been taught that some of the Old Testament is still relevant for you today. Because somebody took some verses out of the Old Testament like your sins have separated you from God or your heart is deceitful to all things. You can't trust it. And you've looked at yourself and you've seen what you thought you made a mess out of yourself and so you've taken on that identity. But when you begin to read and unhook the book through the lens of God did not send his son to condemn the world. The world was never condemned. It is not condemned. Jesus was not a failure. But he sent his son to save the world. Now whether, whether or not you have your eyes on him doesn't really matter because his eyes are always on you. When Jesus offered himself and solved the sin problem by his death and shedding of his blood as the last lamb for the whole world, that, should, that was for us to free us in our conscience and our minds. It was not for God. And it marked the end of that old covenant that man had asked for. Give me the works to do and I'll do it. Just tell me what God wants me to do and I'll obey. That's what 99% of the church is still involved with today. We show up on Sunday morning and we tell us what God wants us to do. And we will go out from Monday to Saturday and we will do our best to do it. So there's one guy that stands up in front of everybody and says, this is what it says, and this is what you have to do. Look, the new covenant was written to you. The spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. Yeah, there will be people that have insight, revelation. I enjoy listening to teaching. There are people I get so much from. But I know at the end of the day, he speaks to me that it's my, my covenant with him. So when Jesus offered himself, he set me apart. When you read the book, ask. Week one's question, what covenant am I reading? Week two question, is this talking to me or is this just for me? And week three, the question today, which side of the cross was this written on? We read at the very beginning that without the death of the testator, the covenant does not go into effect. There is no new covenant during the life of Jesus. The new covenant does not begin until the death of Jesus, until the death of the testator. That means when Jesus said, I've come for the, except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and the old covenant was still in effect until the death of Jesus, Listen, that means most of what you're going to read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John up to the death of Jesus is Old Covenant. Does that mean I, I shouldn't follow what Jesus said? No, there's tremendous wisdom. Jesus will teach us principles that are beneficial to us. But you also have to understand who he was writing to. It wasn't writing to you. It can be for you. There's a lot in the Sermon on the Mount that's for us, but it's not to us. It's written to the Jews that were under the law, and you need to look at it through that lens. You need to understand that. If it was said before the death of Jesus, I'll say it again, it is Old Covenant. It might be helpful, but it's not spoken to you. If it's spoken after the death of Jesus, after the cross, that's the new covenant that was spoken to you. 
The cross is the reference point on how we read the scriptures. The cross, not the page in your Bible that says New Testament, and the next page is Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. The death of Jesus is the dividing line of the two covenants. So to give maximum respect to God's word and to receive the greatest benefit, let me just say this and I'm done. I'm totally done. Rightly divide the covenants. You got it? All right. So, so far what we've done is we got to know what covenant we're reading. Is this talking to me? And which side of the cross was it written on? When you read your Bible this week, keep those three questions in mind. All right, God bless you. Been good to be with you this morning. I've enjoyed it. Hope I've, hope I've been clear and gotten through to you what we need to do. We've still got two more to go on this, and then we'll kick off first of next month on Galatians 1.1. God bless you. Love all of you guys. Thank you for your prayers, your love, your support. Uh, I really feel a, a camaraderie with those of us that gather on Sunday morning. We'll see you next Sunday morning, same time. See you then. We thank you for being with us today on the Digital Cathedral. We trust that today's teaching helped you in your journey to the abundant life Jesus has freely given to all. If you would like to help support us in spreading the gospel of grace, you can do so by going to donkeithley.com to make your donation. We thank you for your prayers and continued monthly support and look forward to seeing you again next week at the Digital Cathedral.